whenever they say what the one piece of advice it is always take the CPA exam take the time to take it hello everyone welcome to life in accounting we are a podcast production of where accountants go Com. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this show. Well, we are revisiting the audit career path in this episode, but with a unique twist. We had Crystal Cook join us from Washington, D.C. for this episode, and we covered quite a bit of territory. Crystal's career has spanned internal audit, big four audit roles, and now she works at the Center for Audit Quality there in Washington, D.C., She's had an exceptionally interesting career journey, and we didn't stop there either in the interview. We also got into discussing the future of the profession a little bit in terms of diversity. Diversity is a topic that is near and dear to Crystal's heart, so it made for a great discussion as well. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. If you do enjoy this episode for yourself, please check us out at www.whereaccountantsgo.com. Com. You can find the show notes for this episode, but also all our other 150 plus episodes of Life and Accounting, plus our blogs, plus our publications and books, and even a few tools for employers as well. Once again, you can find that at www.whereaccountantsgo.com. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started with today's interview. I think you're really going to enjoy this. Here's Crystal Cook. Well, hello, Crystal. I am so glad you made time for this. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. This should be really fun for me. (laughs) Yes, for both of us. (laughs) Well, for the audience, we have Crystal Cook on the line with us today. And Crystal is with the Center for Audit Quality in Washington, D.C. I noticed Crystal online because we have some mutual acquaintances. Basically, she knows some of our former guests. But specifically, I was curious about her career path. I figured she may have a great story to tell. And sure enough, I found out in our pre-show discussion that she does. We're going to talk about many things. We're going to talk about internal audit, the big four, the very interesting Center for Audit Quality, and even a little bit on diversity as well as we get into the interview. Well, Crystal... We do have a lot of ground to cover, and and it's going to be fun. I do like to start at the beginning, though, so people understand where you came from. What led you to decide to consider accounting as a possible career in the first place? Yes, so back when I was born, no, I'm kidding. So (laughs) I didn't start my interest that young, but I did start it at an earlier age than most, I think, because my exposure to accounting came from my mother. A lot of people in my work here at the CAQ, we find that a lot of people who don't even know about the profession, unless they have someone in their family who was an accountant, and that was my case. My mother was an accountant. She was a tax accountant, though. For some reason, I remember her working at various places, but the few that stick out in my head to me were KPMG. She worked there for a while in their sales and use tax department. And then every tax season, she would work at H&R Block. And this was for fun. And I'm quoting fun because we all know that working on taxes is probably not everyone's idea of fun, but for her it is. So that was my exposure at a very early age. And I knew she was doing it. So I always had some kind of interest around what that was. And so, you know, going through youth and at some point in high school, you start to think about what you want to do with your career and 
of course, accounting came on my radar because of that. And so in my high school, they had accounting classes and I started to think, oh, maybe I should take an accounting class and figure out what it is. And, you know, we didn't have, at least I don't recall having a school counselor to help guide you through what your classes, what you should take or what your interests are to help you decide a career. So I just went to my parents and my dad was an electrical engineer. I had been with him to his job and he worked for a company that made Similac. And, but he worked on, he used to tell us so that we understood he makes the machines that makes the Semilac. And so he would show us that and we'd go on tours and he would tell us how hard he had to work to get to that. And it was such a challenging path and it was very complex. And he would go on and on about how he had to study for his certifications. And to me, it just seemed really, really challenging. And I was like, yeah, that might not be the path for me. (laughs) Again, not knowing how challenging accounting would be, but whatever. In my head, I thought accounting might be a little easier of a path, I guess, at that time. This was my naive brain as a high schooler. (laughs) And so I decided to try accounting versus engineering. And my high school had an accounting class. And I, I went into it and I said, let me see what this is about. And so this accounting class, though, was more basically bookkeeping, and I had no idea this would be nothing to the type of accounting that I would be doing down the road, but this, it's still, I liked it. I liked how it, the introduction to it, it did provide a good foundation to what accounting was, and so it, it clicked for me. I was good at it, and so I thought, hey, I think I found my career. So that was basically my introduction to accounting. I decided to major in it from there, and I started my next path on to college, and I grew up in Ohio. It's a small town outside of Columbus, Ohio, called Westerville, and I ended up going to the University of Cincinnati. That was about maybe an hour and a half, two hours down the road, and that's where I spent my next four years. That's where I started doing accounting. I was fortunate to be a member of the women's basketball team there. While I was learning about trying to be accountant, I was learning how to become a college athlete and juggle all of my schooling and navigating this road that I was just not familiar with how to do. And so an accounting that came to me so easy in high school was quite challenging in college. <laughs> it was very different and all the different courses and having to juggle it and be traveling and going to games and all kinds of things like that. So It's so funny that that coursework that I thought was going to be so hard for an engineer, (laughs) I was like, I don't know if I picked the right career because this coursework seems pretty hard as well. But I don't know how I figured it out. I had to call home a lot. (laughs) And I was doubting myself and my parents would, you know, remind me that nothing great in life, it comes easy and that you're going to have to work for whatever you do. So don't just be giving up because you think it's hard or all these challenges are hard. You're going to have to work. And this work that you put in means it's going to be good on the other side. I took that with me and it stuck with me throughout my whole life. I applied to everything and Fast forward four years, I went through it and I made it. And next thing I knew, I was towards the end of my path and I was starting to look for jobs <laughs> as to what I wanted to do. So that's kind of my quick synopsis of how high school all the way through college and how that kind of progressed into accounting okay. for me. Okay. Well, actually, you know, it's interesting. We found that parental influence is 
one of the largest. That and seeing somebody in school, it's almost tied. Right. Somebody in mm-hmm. your early education that was a successful accountant. But those, those are by far the, the two leading reasons people get into accounting. I just have to ask this. I, I didn't mean to originally, but since, since you mentioned basketball, I'm very sports ignorant. But oh, okay. I, I, did you ever... <laughs> <laughs> Sad Interesting. Bit, no. <laughs> was it an option or did you think about doing that post college as well or was it just, you know, something that you were uh, interested in in college? Uh, no, I very much wanted to do it post college, but when I graduated, now you're going to age me on this podcast, but uh, <laughs> no, when I graduated, the WNBA had just started. It was the very first year. And at that point, you had to try out. Athletes had to try out to be able to make it into the NBA. And only one person from my team got an invitation. She went and tried out, and she didn't make it. So at that time, I didn't really have much of an option. I could have went overseas to play, but I couldn't do that. I didn't want to be overseas by myself, very family-oriented. I just couldn't make that transition, so I decided to go into the work world. And actually, at that time, the WNBA, I mean, it it wasn't paying very much different than what I was going to be paying as an entry-level accountant. (laughs) So it had to be something that you loved to be able to do that. And so, I mean, I did love it, but I didn't love it enough to make that also being away from all my family and friends. So it didn't work out. So I just ended up playing for fun. I'd find local leagues and things like that to play in. But um, no, I would have loved to go on and play professionally, but the league was not there yet. So (laughs) long-term accounting is easier on your knees and and your back. Yes, I was going to say, (laughs) um, my knees are probably thankful that I didn't do all of that because right now they struggle from day to day. But, and hey, everything happens for a reason, I think. So I'm very happy with where things have ended up with my career-wise now. So Wonderful. Let's Can't go complain. through the time before you know, moving to uh, the Center for Auto Quality, CAQ, because I, I found it interesting that it looks like your career started in internal audit before you moved on yes. to the big four. So how did all that happen? Yes. So yes, I took the very non-traditional approach <laughs> to it. Most students, in, who are most of who were uh, looking for jobs at the same time I was, everybody was always talking about big four. That's what you need to be doing. Or I think at that time it was big six, I believe. Um, <laughs> and you go there, you get stay there for three years and move on to a company. That was just the thing everybody was saying. I don't know how we all got that in our heads, but that was just what everybody was saying. And just as a side note, I, I pray that people aren't still saying that now because after the, all the experience I've had, I definitely find that there's benefit in staying there longer. And not to jump ahead on my path, but I'll talk about later, but I think staying there as long as possible provides the most benefit. So just putting that little two cents in before I continue on. So anyway, I felt because everyone was saying this to me and I was like, well, to me, it just makes logical sense to skip the big four, big six altogether and just go straight to the company. So I did that. And so I started a bank, and it was Fifth Third Bank, and I was working in Cincinnati, downtown Cincinnati, and that was my first job. I was in the internal audit department. And 
to me, I thought I had made the right decision because everybody who I worked with there had came from one of those big firms. <laughs> there was, it seemed like they were all there. And I even worked with the external auditors who I believe might have been Deloitte at the time. I'm not sure. But I would work with them on their audit when they would come to audit the bank every year. So I was like, I'm getting the same exposure. So <laughs> I definitely made the right decision. So after being there for a few years, I started to get bored. We started to look at the same thing. An internal audit, the audit committee basically decides the areas that you are going to focus on. And so we were looking at a lot of same risky areas that you would expect to look at. And so, so that's what I did. And it just started to get redundant for me and felt like I was doing a lot of the same things. So this thought, it came into my mind is where maybe I should start looking for somewhere, something else to do. And at that time, diversity was a concern for the third bank and they wanted to increase diversity in their accounting department. So, um, which is funny, it's still an issue now and that was back in 1998. And so, <laughs> they had sent me to a NABA conference. NABA is the National Association of Black Accountants. And so, they thought that would be a great place to go to try and recruit some diverse talent into their organization. And so, they sent myself another recruiter and we went to the, the conference was in Washington, D.C. at the time. And so we went to Washington, D.C. and set up. And as most people probably know, when you go to conferences, they have these career fairs. And NABBA was no different. They had the career fair. And our booth just happened to be set up next to KPMG's booth. And, you know, as I told you, my mother worked at KPMG, so I was all thinking, oh, KPMG. I, I felt like I already had this connection to them. <laughs> so I was just talking to them, not thinking about employment, just comfortability and thinking that I had this already relationship with this organization who meets people who had no idea who I was. And so we became talking throughout the conference and they learned my background. And of course, I told them the story about my mother and all this. And so they were like, are you interested in the job? And I was like, well, Maybe I am, because after all of this, I just mentioned that I had, was starting to get bored, so I thought, what do I have to lose? So they asked me to interview. I interviewed while I was there at that conference, and ultimately, that later that, while I was there that week, I went in and talked to some people in the D.C. office, and about a couple weeks later, I had got an offer letter in the mail for a position in their assurance practice in D.C., it all just felt right. And so instead of, you know, starting at one of those large firms, I kind of ended up there anyway. I packed my bags and moved to Washington, D.C. And a few months later, I was already there and I was working. And it was a very interesting path I took. And I, I thought it was funny how I still ended up there, even though I was had it set in my mind that I didn't even need that step in. But, you know, life takes you where you need to go. And so it all worked out that way for me. So, and then I, at KPMG, I ended up spending seven years there. And that's to my point of earlier where I said people say, go there for three years, get your intro, and then leave. I think I got my best exposure to KPMG after those three years. I mean, you learn each year you're there, but I felt like I got so much exposure to different companies and financial statements and seeing different things. And that only happens the longer you are there. And not to mention all the great people you meet. I'm, I'm still friends with so many people there or that I met there. And it's just a 
exposure that I never thought I would get. And I think that that longer you can stay there, it's great. Now, I will say the longer, the length of time you can stay there is very dependent on you having your CPA. I didn't mention the CPA in that whole process before. And that was because I never got it. And so that's a very different aspect for someone who is majoring in accounting. I think now even when I go out and talk to students, I tell them the number one thing you need to focus on when you graduate is getting your CPA. For some reason, I had it in my mind as a graduate, and maybe this is a cultural thing too for me, I think, that I needed to graduate, get a job, take care of myself so my parents don't have to keep supporting me. Like, I just felt like that was what I had to do. And that was what I was motivated to do. And that is what I did. And then I said I would start focusing on the CPA exam. That was a challenge, trying to study and work and trying to excel at work and be like this great performer. And, and even while I was at the bank is when I started studying. And it was just... For me, it was too much juggling, and if I had to do it all over again, I would definitely go back, graduate, take a year. I mean, now it's different because students have to have a fifth year of schooling anyway, but if I could have done it again, I, and I tell this to students, take the CPA exam in your fifth year if you can. <laughs> Figure out a way. I would have probably went back and got a part-time job because, to me, I also needed the money to pay for the exam. Like. I don't have any money. I just graduated. So I needed to get money to pay for it, to pay for the prep courses. So you still probably have to work some kind of way, maybe get a part-time job. Who knows? Drive Uber. You can do whatever you can do these days. But that's my one thing that I tell people. Just focus on that before life gets started. Do that. That's my, probably my biggest regret that I have is not doing that. Fortunately, I say I'm blessed that my path worked out anyway. It did not hinder me, but I always want students to know that you don't want a reason for someone to be able to tell you, no, you can't do it. And that's what I had. And so I left KPMG on my own. They didn't make me leave, but I just felt as though it's just how the rules are. Without it, I would have only gone as far as you can't even make a manager without your CPA. But like I said, even without it, my exposure has been really good. Things have fallen in my direction, which is why I say it's a blessing because it's way above me. I feel like how all everything has happened for me, but it's all worked out for me. So that's how the CPA thing never happened. But the other thing was when I, I say the CPA never happened, there were used to be laws around the CPA exam to where once I moved to Washington, D.C., that was now my new residence, and I had originally applied for the CPA exam in Ohio. And so I think the rule was once you're gone, you have six months to, for, to all your credits count to pass the oh. exam, something like that, and if, or else you had to start your process over in the state where you lived or where you moved to. In Ohio at the time, they didn't have 150 hours yet. In Washington, D.C., they did. So if I didn't pass the CPA exam in six months, I would have had to go back to school, get 30 more hours, and basically start over completely. And so anyone who's taken the CPA exam knows I did not pass that in six months while I was working at KCMG. And so that window of opportunity kind of passed, and I just kind of let it go. But Fortunately for me, the CAQ then came across my lap. So, <laughs> mm. 
I really appreciate you being so open about that. It's such a common feeling to get out of school and feel like, you know, I, I'm done. I just want to get my life started. I know this is important. I'll do it later. And we all know the, the longer time that goes, the, just the harder it gets. But it's important for people to hear that. I talk to students all the time, and that is the one message. I get it whenever they say, what's the one piece of advice that you would give us? It is always <laughs> take the CPA exam. Take the time to take it. If you have to move home, <laughs> yeah. do it. Just kind of get that piece of your life over and done with, and then you can move on. I'm very open about sharing that story. And somebody else can learn from it and not do what I did and cause so much strife, then it's a success for me. <laughs> <laughs> you started to talk about the Center for Audit Quality. And, and yeah, let's definitely get into that because I suspect for many of us, me included, that we've heard of it, but we really don't know what the Center for Audit Quality does or you know, what yep. role it plays. So yeah, educate us a little bit in that area. And, and what's your role specifically? The Center for Audit Quality is based out of Washington, D.C. When I moved here and I was at KPMG and I was reaching that manager track, I probably would have been a manager if I had my CPA, but um, I wasn't. So I was probably a senior plus plus, whatever that is. <laughs> and so um, I started to think, you know, I probably need to figure out what my next steps are. If I'm not going to be a senior for life. And so I started to look and very early on in the process, a recruiter that I worked with, the CHQ had just started. This was back in 2007. They had just started and they were just looking for somebody to help get the organization started and it just seemed like something that would fit that as a fit for me. So just giving you a background on what the Center for Audit Quality does, it's a nonprofit public policy organization and it was created under the umbrella of the AICPA, the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants. I'm sure anybody listening to this blog knows what that is, but just spelling it out anyway. But this organization was used as a forum for the largest public company audit firms to come together not in a competitive nature, but as a collective group on various matters that work towards improving overall audit quality and in building investor confidence in the capital markets. So investor confidence and public trust. It's a member-based organization and a good portion of the staff here support those member firms in various capacities. We work with the PCOB and SEC a lot on different requests for comments and things like that. They come out, and if there's any kind of new regulations that they want the firms to incorporate or for their companies, they will sometimes come to us to see what the profession thinks about those kind of things. There's just different little aspects that the CAQ does. I was brought on to support the executive director in the governance of the CAQ. So our governing board is ran by the largest eight accounting firms, the CEOs of those firms, as well as the CEO of the AICPA, and then we have three public board members. One provides a regulatory perspective, one provides an academic perspective, and one is an audit committee chair. And so those complements all help to provide thought around the components of a good audit and how to provide good quality audits. And so the CAQ needed someone to help run those governing board meetings. And they wanted someone who 
came from the accounting world and knew the lingo, knew what they were talking about, knew the subject matter to be able to properly support them. And so to me, coming from KPMG, I thought it sounded interesting because at that time, I probably never even had the opportunity to meet my CEO, let alone (laughs) be sitting in the same room with him, hearing him talk about various issues, and let alone my CEO, but all of the CEOs of the firms that I hear about every day. So I thought it was a very interesting insight and different side of things. And so I took a leap and came over here to help in that area. And so it started out as a position where I was kind of a corporate secretary type, managing the board and developing all of the different governance protocols and things with the executive director that we should be doing. But then the position evolved and I began to support our Financial Oversight Committee, which is a subcommittee of our governing board. And now our operations are pretty much supported by the AICPA, but we do have to manage our own financials. We provide the information up to the AICPA. So I work on a monthly basis with our you know, internal team here on that, which I do love. So I still get to get a piece of the audit side. I still get to dust those skills off every now and again, every month to do that. And I help with our annual budgeting as well. So that's another component. And then the final piece of my job now, which is probably the part that I am most passionate about, is the last few years, the firms decided that the CAQ should start focusing on talent for the profession. And that is maintaining the pipeline of students coming into the profession, as well as working towards increasing diversity in the profession. And my particular focus has been working with the different diverse programs and trying to find underrepresented audiences to, as the point we spoke to earlier, you know, we said that a lot of students don't even know about accounting unless they know someone in their family who was an accountant. And if you don't know someone, you never will even get exposure to the career, maybe until you're in college. And that might be too late because now we're competing with everything else that you can try and figure out to what you want to do. So my talent piece here is I go around and I speak to students. A lot of my time is speaking to students, speaking to counselors, speaking to academics, educating, telling them about the career, providing them with tools and resources that they can use to introduce the career. It's just bringing awareness and education around it. And I just feel like all the benefits that I've got from this career, even without my CPA exam. Now, I'm never going to encourage anyone not to get their CPA exam because I do think it's important, or do get their CPA. I also feel the foundation that you get from this career, anyone who wants to be in business or maybe they want to own their own business or most things you do in life are going to have some kind of financial aspect of it. And so just having this information as your basis is just extremely helpful. And it's never going to hurt you to have it. It's gotten me here and I didn't even get the CPA, but that just tells you how important and how useful the knowledge is. That's kind of how I got here, and I try and share that message with as many people as I know, especially diverse audiences, just because this could be their ticket as well. It's not because they're not you know, smart enough, or it's just they don't know about it. And so if we could just put it on the radar, we could 
maybe change what the rooms look like and the different audit teams. And when I was at KPMG, I was a lot of the times I was one of very few. And when I say one, I'm quoting again as if you can see me, but one woman, one person of color, one whatever, that needs to change. And that's what I want to hope that the CAQ can have a part in changing. And so I just fortunate enough that my one of my passions I get paid to do at work. <laughs> it just kind of all works out. I do tell people, I feel like almost that this job was made for me because there's not really a job where you can combine talent and governance. It's not really a position. It's like usually they're kind of separate. And even when you're in talent, there's several layers to talent versus there's diversity, there could be recruiting, there could be, you know, but I get all of it wrapped up into one here. So, um, and I and I do love the, the governance piece and being able to stay abreast of all the accounting issues and meeting these CEOs and C-suite professionals that you do get exposure to some sweet, sweet professionals, but it's your clients, not your firms, right? So um, to me, it's just a win all the way around. <laughs> <laughs> I know you mentioned this to me before, and I'm sorry, I don't remember, but about how large is the team at the CAQ? Because you do have a lot of variety in your job. I'm just curious. Yes, we aren't that big at all. I believe we have, my team here will probably be mad that I don't know this, but I think it's 25 to 30 people here. We're all mostly based out of Washington, D.C. And then we have one person who has outlived all of us. And she has been with the AICTA before we had the CAQ. And so she's always been based out of New York and she's up there. But she helps with the member side of sending the smaller, smaller firms. Our firms range from little guys all the way up to, you know, the big four. And she helps monitor some of the smaller ones and help them get the information that they need as well. But we're pretty small, small but mighty, though, is what we like to say. (laughs) You do sound like you have a really interesting job. I mean, you mentioned sort of like corporate secretary, but I heard some things that are sort of like corporate treasurer as well. And and then you're, you're in the talent space and <laughs> yes yes it's so much variety <laughs> wow wow you really can't do almost anything with the background in accounting so <laughs> yes i honestly feel that way yep that's cool well there's three questions i end every podcast with but i want to make sure we cover everything in the diversity area that you'd like to cover you mentioned your career in the 90s i think it was and and how you know diversity was being discussed you know at that time as well what do you feel like we're maybe doing better than we used to in the accounting profession and then where do you see that we we still need to continue to improve i've learned that changing diversity is a long-term process as i said we're working with high schoolers right so we won't see that for another 10 years if we made an impact right so i think the firms are doing a lot of things that i think weren't doing back when i was well frankly even when i was in the firms but even prior to that i i know that they have different culture activities people are they're all doing now to help you know people understand various cultures outside of theirs they're doing a lot of unconscious bias training we all do things that we don't even realize that we're doing they're having more open conversations I think once they get the diverse professionals in there they're doing all these things to help keep them there and to make them feel comfortable and I think that's very important I know that when I was there I've just kind of gotten myself used to being the only one in the 
room. That's just how it's always been. And that's just how the profession was. And it is evolving. And I can see that the firms are now starting to recognize that person that is the one in the room might need some different exposure or different type of understanding from others as to how they might. Compassion is the word that I'm trying to find. And so they are trying to do things so that the other people in the room understand how that one person might feel and vice versa. And so I think a lot of things like that is being done. I know I told you how the CAQ is doing a bunch of working on educating. I know the firms are all doing that kind of stuff too. And and that's also why they tasked us with doing it is because they know that something needs to be done. We do a lot of work with high schools. We have organization, it's called the National Academy Foundation, and they work with students in underrepresented areas to provide provide them with information on various career paths just to kind of give them exposure. And so we've teamed up with them to put public company audit as one of the career paths that they get to learn about. And so the firms hold these sessions with them where they invite them. It's like a field trip. They go to the firm and they get to learn about what the profession is like and, you know, what they would do. They get to do, a, you know, a little mock inventory count. It's just a kind of day of exposure and the firms are all committed to doing that as well. Everyone is doing little things to help move the needle on this, but for some reason, it's still a slow thing that is moving. It is improving, but it's slowly improving. So I think it's just finding something or whatever that it is that we can all do that's more scalable, that we can, you know, make a bigger impact. And that's kind of what the CAQ is trying to figure out. You know, what that's our next steps. What can we do as a profession, more profession-wide, that can make an impact. And as we figure that out, we're still going to keep doing all those other things that we're doing just because you can't just sit back and watch, right? You have to do something. And things have changed. I keep saying I was the only one in the room, but now there might be two. (laughs) And that may seem small, but that's a big change for some audiences and so some rooms. Growth, as small as it is, may not be where we want it, but it's still growth. So as long as we all keep fighting in the right direction, I think we'll eventually see change. But it just is unfortunately taking a little longer than we had hoped. But we all have the same goal and the same motivation. So one day, hopefully, we will be able to see the fruits of all of our labor. Wonderful. And by the way, I think use of the word compassion is very appropriate. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Good choice of words. Good choice of words. Thank you. I do end every podcast with the same three questions. And the first one's Mm -hmm. usually the easiest. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? I don't know if it's my proudest moment, but I will say one of the proud moments is when I'm working with the students and sharing information on, you know, what this career is like, and they come up to me and they say, oh my gosh, this sounds so cool. I would really want to learn more about this. I had no idea this was even out there, and I'm going to look into this. Those kind of messages makes me feel like it was worth it. Even if they don't go into it, they now know what it is, and just knowledge is power, right? And so they can at least take that back and consider it. 
or when I get an email from a teacher that we've worked with and they say, oh my gosh, thank you so much for this. My students loved this. They learned so much. They had no idea before. One of my students has decided to major in accounting or, you know, I just hearing those kind of things make me feel like, okay, we've made a positive change here. It just feels so good. And, you know, ultimately, hopefully the I know it's a long process, I keep saying that, but I feel like at some point, hopefully the enrollment numbers will start to go up at these, you know, institutions for diverse students, and then ultimately the number of diverse CTAs will go up, and then the number of, it's a trickle effect, right? And then hopefully the number of diverse professionals that firms hire will go up, and then it just keeps trickling on down, you know, the road, and so, but I just feel like... It's a career that is such a rewarding career, at least accounting is, I feel like, and I just want as many people, any diverse, underrepresented people, I guess, is to know about it so that they can start changing their lives and giving themselves a better outcome and giving themselves a better chance to be successful. Making a difference you know, one step at a time, a little bit at a time. Yeah. Well, second question Tell us about a lesson you learned the hard way. And the more you can tell us about the details, the better, of course, (laughs) because that's how we learn. (laughs) I think it's pretty clear that my lesson is my CPA exam. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) But I think the overall lesson, though, in that is don't get ahead of yourself. Stop, take the time, and look at the big picture to make the decision, what's going to be best for me long term? I know there's immediate gratification in getting a job, making the money, getting started, but where will that put you in the next three years? Or where will that put you in the next five years? And what path is the best path for you to take so that you are successful, the most successful in the next five years? And what are you doing to make that road the easy road versus the bumpy road? And so I try to step back and look at anything that I undertake, like, okay, is this decision the right decision for me in the next five years versus what will it bring me right now? So like I said with the CTA exam, if I could do it all over again, I would graduate, I would probably move back home, as painful as that probably would have been for probably my parents and myself, (laughs) I would have moved back home (laughs) and I would have just focused on studying and I would have maybe, I would have gotten like a maybe a part-time job and just focused on studying, getting those exams out of the way before life got too much in the way. Of course, the path I took, I started working. I thought I was having a great time. I was making money. I was going out with colleagues and doing all these things, but they all had their CPA. (laughs) So when it came time to get to that part where, you know, we had to came to a fork in the road where you either went on in the firm or you didn't, that became a challenge for me because I took a different path. And so had I, if I could go back, I would do that over again. Who knows? I could very well end up where I am now, but that would have been my choice versus something that I had to do because of the cards I dealt myself. So that's probably the overall lesson I got from that whole situation. And clearly, it sticks with me because that was, I'm not even going to say how many years ago. I already gave a year so people can do the math. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. That's funny. <laughs> you know, I think if you ask any accounting graduate, is it better to 
invest for the short term or the long term. I mean, the majority are going to say long term, right? But when we apply that to our own lives, and then, you know, sure, right. we invest the time now, we become, yeah, it's, it's a lot harder. So Absolutely. It's a hard thing to do. It's the whole, you know, things are going to get ugly before they get better type thing. Yeah. Like, you got to put in the work first before you start seeing the fruits of your labor. So it's like, don't expect your fruit to come without doing any work for it. <laughs> so I didn't get that then, obviously. Do you get it now? Now I have a couple of kids and life is really crazy, but maybe one day I'll find the time to go back and try and get it. Who knows what lies ahead? <laughs> Well, well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and shut it down. What has been the best piece of advice that you have ever received? I would have to say, don't forget to put myself first. I think we sometimes, as people, we feel like we can't celebrate ourselves as much and celebrate all the great things that we do individually, and we kind of don't sell ourselves as well as we should. And me, especially because of the path that I took and not having my CPA sometimes, I do sometimes feel like I sell myself short. But the fact that I'm even on this podcast is even proof that everyone's path is different. We all have our strengths. We all have our various weaknesses. And there is no defined path to success. Your path is what you make it. When I say put me first, I mean go after the things that I think will make myself happy, not worry about are these the things that people think I should be doing? Are these the things that accountants are supposed to do? This is the path that most people take. Is it, I guess this is the path that I should take. No, do what you think works best for you and just knock that out of the park and you will be successful in your own right. And not to worry about what others think. People always think that you know grass is greener on the other side, but your grass is only as green as much as you water it is I think what I heard someone say. And I think it might have been Kimberly Ellison Taylor who I heard say it, who is somebody who I know you put on your podcast before, but (laughs) you have to put your work into you and focus on you. And that is what makes you happy and successful. And that will get you much, much farther than worrying about what anybody else thinks. And so that's probably the advice that I hold closest to me and I try to work on. Not that I'm even good at it myself yet, but it's something that I'm constantly working on as well. Using advice for the show from Kimberly Ellison Taylor is cheating just a little bit, but I'm going to let you go. (laughs) Is it really? (laughs) How is that cheating? I didn't listen to her podcast, if that's what she means, so I'm not stealing it from her podcast. (laughs) Oh, there's a lot of nuggets of wisdom from I was going to say, she personally, I personally have heard her say that to me, so that should count. (laughs) (laughs) It's a ringer, for sure, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. Actually, that is great advice, because I I feel like a lot of accountants, we sell ourselves short, and we're always thinking about the other individual, and and sometimes, yeah, you do need to step back and realize the value you bring, so that that really is wonderful advice. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been very fun. (laughs) No problem. I know it was a busy week. It was wonderful for you to make time for the audience. Well, that was our interview with Crystal Cook. And I found it interesting 
that she tried out industry first, actually, but it wasn't quite the right fit for her. And so then she chose to go into public accounting, where she stayed for over seven years. So obviously, that was a much better match. And then secondly, I really appreciated the transparency that the Crystal had about her own situation with regards to the CPA exam. She's really trying to help others by sharing her own story. And I, as well as I know you, appreciate that very much. There really was a lot of truth in the insights that Crystal shared with us today. If you found this episode valuable, please check us out online. Once again, you can find us at www.whereaccountantsgo.com. One section of the website I don't talk about too much is our blog section. But if you're a student or you're very early on in your career, there are many articles there that relate to you on topics such as certification, advancing your career, and many others. Once again, you can find that in the blog section at whereaccountantsgo.com. Well, thank you again for joining us. I'm Mark Goldman, your host for Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast, and we will see you next week. There's more to come.